Welcome to What the F is Going On in Latin America, Code Pink's weekly YouTube program of hot news out of Latin America and the Caribbean. In partnership with Friends of Latin America, Massachusetts Peace Action, and Task Force on the Americas, we broadcast every Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern on Code Pink YouTube Live. On July 24, the 238th anniversary of Simón Bolívar's birth, Mexico's president, Andrés Manuel López Obrador, addressed an audience of foreign ministers and international dignitaries saying, let's initiate a relationship in our hemisphere based on the premise of George Washington, according to which nations should not take advantage of the misfortune of other peoples. I am aware that this is a complex issue that requires a new political and economic outlook. The proposal is no more and no less than to build something similar to the European Union, but in accordance with our history, our reality, and our identities. In this spirit, the replacement of the OAS by a truly autonomous organization, not a lackey of anyone, but a mediator at the request and acceptance of the parties in conflict in matters of human rights and democracy should not be ruled out. Serving as president pro tempore of CELAC, AMLO reconvened members of the organization in Mexico City on September 18, after a several year long pause. President Nicolas Maduro attended the summit representing Venezuela's democratically elected government. Much of the summit's conversation focused on creating a unified Latin America and Caribbean, uh, unified Latin America and Caribbean economic bloc, similar to the European Union, free to trade in a multipolar global framework. Last week, the world witnessed the opening of the 2021 United Nations General Assembly debate. Thursday morning, 18 countries, including Venezuela, gathered to sign a declaration to uphold the founding principles of the United Nations. The countries are collectively known as the Group of Friends in Defense of the UN Charter. Also in Mexico City, we've witnessed since August Venezuelan dialogue occurring between the democratically elected government of Venezuela and all opposition parties. So a lot has been happening in the Americas. I'm sure all of you have witnessed some, if not all of these events. And um, I'm so, so happy, happy this evening to, to have um, a very special guest, Carlos Ron, who is the Venezuelan Vice Minister of Foreign Affairs for North America. He's joining us this evening from Caracas to talk with us about all of these changes and exciting events occurring um, in the Americas and the Caribbean. So welcome, Carlos. I'm so thankful you had time to join us today. No, thank you very much. My pleasure. Always ready to, to share uh, whatever we can with, with our friends from Coping. So let's talk about, I'm not really sure, where's the best place for us to start? I, I could tell you, here in Mexico City, um, where I'm talking to all of you from, we were all, and not just me being an extranjero, but the city was really a buzz in July, July 24th with AMLO's discourse and laying out what we thought was a really exciting and progressive vision for the Americas. But then here on September 18, we end up having this fantastic Salak Summit with 31 of the 33 members repre represented. So maybe we should start with this vision and, and then how, we, how you see um, a potential evolution 
for the Americas, a unified bloc. The, the, I, I agree a very important moment uh, back in, in July um, when President uh, stated uh, American states uh, um, as you know we've had uh, uh, in the past um, running uh, um, that's that uh, forum the, the organization of American states uh, we you know first of all we we've realized that um, it well, it never it was never a space for Latin American unity or for Latin American solidarity or or cooperation but rather it, it was always a place where the interests of the United States government sort of imposed itself over the rest of the region. Uh, and then we see this because in, in, in instances where there has been controversy and, and, and disturbances and, and, and attacks between, uh, you know, from the Secretary General's office to uh, the rest of the, uh, or, or some of the countries, for example, uh, you know, they, they, they constantly attack Venezuela's democratic government. But not only Venezuela, there's a long history of interventionism within uh, the Organization of American States. Uh, you know, it's an organization that allowed or, or, or sort of, you know, legitimated uh, um, U.S. intervention in the 1960s in other countries, such as the Dominican Republic. In 1965, in particular, it also <clears throat> approved the exclusion of, of Cuba from uh, from the space, you know, from, and that's that's the exclusion of a country, you know, unlike Venezuela, which decided to, uh, you know, in a sovereign move to leave the space of the Organization of American States, Cuba was expelled uh, in soon after uh, the Cuban Revolution arrived. So, so it was never really a space of complementation of, you know, or, or, or where you could actually work together, but rather uh, it, was, it was an attempt to impose a certain line on the rest of, of the region. And it's also, I, I believe, and, and you know, I've said this before, that sort of mentality, a colonial framework, where you still hold many of the countries in the region, uh, you know, subjected to uh, funding and, and, and other, um, other things that come from the inter-American system that, that sort of generate dependency. So for example, uh, politically today, politically, the Organization of American States is, is an empty shell. I mean, there's, it's not really the space where uh, Latin American countries can, can feel like they can go and uh, you know, communicate their, their concerns but there's an inter-American system that includes a human rights court, that includes the, the inter-American bank, uh, the government bank. Um, so other instances within this framework, uh, strongly financed by the United States, which also generate dependency in some of the countries that have weaker economies or that have you know, other, other uh, issues that, that, that tie them to the system. So, so what we believe is that it's time to transcend uh, this, uh, this type of framework.
to to develop a space where we can actually be on equal terms, on equal footing, where our interests are more similar, where our and where the the main interest is to to cooperate with each other, respecting each other's uh, political orientation, respecting uh, every country's sovereignty, respecting every country's internal affairs, not sanctioning uh, other countries or not you know not, not not the aggression that we see. I mean, for example. The, the Organization of American States in its charter states explicitly that not one country can can uh, can use measures of coercion against any other for whatever political reasons. This is not followed at all. You know, we see the United States sanctioning Venezuela, Nicaragua. Uh, you know, uh, Cuba is no longer a member, but you know, it, it, at the time it also uh, uh, applied measures against. Cuba, and there's nothing, there's a silence because the secretariat doesn't respond to the interest of the landress of who pays the bills, which is mainly the United States. With the CELAC, the purpose was to go back to our own history and to our own, uh, uh, um, again, to, 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 to create a space among equals where we could actually think about solving the problems that uh, the region faces collectively. Could you, um, could you and, tell us? You know, we, we believe that this is today. Sorry. Well, oh, I'm sorry. I think you froze a bit. And I, I wondered if you could just digress for a minute and tell our audience uh -huh. what CELAC is, because this is a creation from Venezuela. And that's why, and, um, and 33, well, I don't know, we have to question Brazil at this point, but 33 of the 35 nations in the Americas are members. And the three, the two that are not are the US and Canada. And maybe just give a quick yes. description okay. of CELAC. Sure. So CELAC, CELAC is the space that, that is that it was created to be, uh, the space of the countries of uh, Latin America and the Caribbean. Like you said, the only two countries in in incident that are that do not belong in CELAC are uh, the United States and Canada because they have another another history another uh, another sort of interests and another way of of of, uh, of viewing each other with relation to the region. Uh, unfortunately, last year with the uh, as um, President Bolsonaro assumed the, the reins in Brazil, he decided to take out Brazil. From uh, from the from the organization, which is a great loss, and we hope that Brazil can come day, you know one day come back. Brazil is an important, uh, essential part of Latin America, like all the other countries are, and uh, it is it was really a political decision, and 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 see and and that's the whole point. The the, the issue here with CELAC is that the relations between the countries are are not are. You know, should the, the, the political relationship should not be the main issue, because we must accept each other's differences. I mean, it is our diversity that makes us strong. Uh, the issue with select in particular is that we want to face together the problems that we all face as Latin American countries, as countries come out of colonialism, countries that come out of uh, uh, you know independence struggle, 
uh, or dependency within our own region, dependency to the United States and, 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 and to Europe. See, we have similar problems and similar challenges and, and that is where we come together. Um, so, so this space, uh, and, and, and this is, I mean, the, the idea that uh, Perestin Lopez Obrador brought up about this being a space for, for Latin America that must stress and uh, the OAS. Expressed by President Chavez in doesn't that that there's now a new a new environment a new climate in 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 the in the region that sees this as an opportunity and i would have to say that one of the one of the key issues that brought us together or maybe two key issues that have brought us together uh, to strengthen uh one has been the covid 19 pandemic uh, you know, it, it is it is urgent for us to find ways to address this. You know, as as a as a common group, rather than you know, because because there's a very different there's a very different um, situation between the of America and of North America. I mean, Canada and and the United States have totally different realities have had totally different to tend to the uh to the pandemic uh so 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 we can't compare and 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 we can't and we also cannot be in in a position of on, on these countries in order to move forward and to address the pandemic we must try to put together all our potentials and see which ways we can resolve them this one this was one of the issues that was discussed in the in the summit uh, a couple of weeks ago, and the other issue that I think is important is that we are facing we are also facing a common reality of climate change, and a common reality, uh, you know, land America, you know, problems, uh, you know, from forest fires to rains to earthquakes and volcanoes i mean so all these things that have been uh the product of the alterations of of, uh, of in, in the earth well we need to draw a common position that again cannot be the same position that you know the united states and canada have uh we're going to have different uh perspectives and different um and we're, and we're affected in different ways so another thing that i think is very important that came out of this meeting was that we will have a common position as CELAC on the environment issue that we will take together at the COP26 uh, in, in the coming months in, or in the coming weeks in, in November in, in Glasgow. So again, the, the issue here is not, is not to divide uh, the continent, but rather to strengthen unity to find a space where we talk to each other on equal footing and where we address Concerns that are common, interests that are common, and solutions. Oh, we lost you for a moment. Yeah, and I, I was saying, you know, the, the the issue here is that we can we can face, uh, you know, together 
challenges and and uh, you know and 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 our common potential. There were a couple things that um, that were really poignant to me listening to. And this was basically a. a a graduate Spanish class for me here in Mexico City. I listened to the whole summit <laughs> on the 18th and most of it was in Spanish and a few countries speaking English. And there were, there were two things. Well, one thing that made a big impression on me as uh, were the comments from Vice President Ulloa of El Salvador, despite some of our uh, impressions of his president Bukele, I was, um, interesting to me, I mean, he started his uh, comment saying that uh, OAS was created in 1948 as part of an instrument of the Cold War when the world was divided into two distinct political camps. In 1962, Cuba was expelled, as you mentioned earlier, because they had a different political ideology. He went on to mention uh, interference by the Secretary General of the OAS regarding election returns in numerous countries particularly Bolivia, and it was, was really um, a surprise. But he all, for me personally to hear that, because we have this vision of what is happening in El Salvador now, particularly with the president, but it was also very telling that he was expressing on behalf of El Salvador, this position of manipulation by the OAS that he, um, that there was a need to find the common ground. And he did flat out say the political differences, you know, are secondary and can be resolved later. But the need to, to create a unified response to COVID-19, to create a unified um, economic block that can deal with the world in a multilateral fashion. And he flat out said, we have SALAC. It's an existing institution. It's efficient, it's effective, and it already exists. He didn't flat out say, let's get rid of the OAS, but it was, so that, that was a real surprise to hear that from El Salvador. And the other theme that kept, that I kept picking up on, but clearly the unification because of COVID-19, but also the push for a, an economic block and a multilateral approach to the globe today, which is in fact, the true structure of the globe. I think the United States doesn't quite understand that yet or doesn't want to embrace it, but the rest of the world pretty much knows that's how things are. But it, it was impressive. I mean, the, the real, the, multi, the multilateral uh, uh, statement came up over and over again throughout the entire summit. And there were a few detractors, but not really. I mean, there was some little tit-for-tat diplomatic stuff going on, but not, you know, the, the unity seemed very clear. No, I, I agree with you. And again, I think this is a product of uh, years of interventionism in our region. Look, you have to remember that when this process started before uh, uh, the, you know, 2011 meeting, you have people as dissimilar as President Hugo Chavez and President Alvaro Uribe in the in the makings of of CELAC. Uh, I, I believe that you know Uribe was already out by by the time of the 2011 meeting, but you know 
he was in the initial to say we have worked this thing we i mean we know we know we have differences that we that we do this now what we can't tolerate is not of, of opinion or, or political uh, positions from our governments what we can't tolerate is interventionism uh what we can't tolerate is is you know uh um Another is trying to exert pressure on other. Uh... Okay, everyone, let's give Carlos a minute to see if he can reconnect. Thank you for your patience. Carlos, you wanna, do you wanna talk with us audio only? Would that maybe be better? So everyone, if you could just give us a few minutes before, are you back? Yes, I'm back. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to try right. and talk with audio only, or, or should we just keep? We'll just keep going. <laughs> down the, down. Let me show the yeah. video in case that okay. you know that that helps. I believe that might help. Uh, okay. Better, and right. sorry about that. Uh, so, no, it's so quite all uh, right. We're what I was saying before, and I'm, I'm not sure. Okay, I'm I'm not sure if if we got cut off uh, at that moment. But what I was saying is, you know, in the past, when the process of CELAC was starting, uh, you know, uh, right before even you know the CELAC was actually uh, formed, but you know, when we we're in the process of making the space, you had positions as dissimilar as President Chavez and President Alvaro Uribe in Colombia. These are, you know, two ex very extreme uh, positions and very, quite very different. There's, there's probably no, nothing that you you can say is in common between between the two leaders. However, there was, uh, you know, there was a, a, a room for uh, talking and moving forward and 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 carrying out the, you know, the, the eventually what, what became CELAC. What, what we're not able to tolerate is intervention by, you know, that that tries to attempt against. Uh, the integrity of, of the countries against, you know, internal issues within uh, our countries. I think that's probably what Bukele was 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 pointing to, uh, you know, the, 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 that, you know, the, the great tension that is created within the OAS system is the the amount of interventionism that we clearly see from the United States and sometimes from Canada as well. So I think that, you know, we are, we're able to, we, you know, we've proven historically that we, we are able to deal with our differences. We are able on, you know, uh, uh, some of the, uh, some specific uh, issues and we're able to, to, to raise them and move forward. And I think this meeting in itself was a proof of that, you know, the fact that we were able to agree about, you know, a plan uh, for the, vaccines and to, to tend to the pandemic, I think that's a good, you know, it's a good, uh, it shows, you know, that, that, that we can cooperate despite our differences. The, the fact that we can come together and draw, a, 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 you know, a common position 
uh, on the environment, I think is is also important. The fact that most of the, I mean, that all of the countries actually, you know, approved uh, during the select meeting a, a statement against the Q, the blockade on Cuba, is very important as well. Yeah. It's not the again, it's not the first time that we had this position. So you know, and this is you know, governments from the left and governments from the right. So I think. I think the problem is when we have open interventionism against our countries, when we have the United States trying to pit countries against each other, trying to, you know, to force uh, rivalries and to try to, you know, force, uh, uh, you know, country to question the internal affairs of the other country and so forth. And that's what generates divisionism. That's why the OAS isn't working because the OAS has just become a space, you know, to divide each other and not to you know, find common solutions. There are some presidents there that spoke very clearly, the president of Uruguay, the president of, of Paraguay, they spoke very clearly in support of the OAS. They believe you know, it's a space that it works. Fine, we disagree. We, we think the OAS is a dead space, but that's great. You know, that's, that's, again, it shows our differences in position, but we did come all together to participate in SALAC. So I think I, I think that it's a very important moment for our region. I think the meeting in of itself is very important. It's that it was a presidential meeting, you know, a high level meeting. It shows we're at a different conjuncture. It shows we're in a moment where we have we know that the challenges are big and that we know that we need to, you know, get ourselves a common position to face them together. Let's um I wonder if you could tell us a bit about you were in New York City for the opening of the of this year's UN general debate. How did this meeting here in Mexico City on the 18th, the Salak summit, how did the themes from that summit um, transition translate to uh, some of the activities that we witnessed um, opening week in New York City, for instance. Um, 18 countries, including Venezuela, signed the Declaration of Friends um, to defend the UN Charter, which I would presume are some of the very, preserving some of the very same principles across the globe that um, CELAC is attempting to uh, preserve in the Americas. Well, I think that you, what you, you made a mention of a bit ago, which I think is important. You talked about multilateralism, and I think that is a very key issue. I mean, one of, one of the reasons that CELAC uh, moved forward is precisely because we, we all believe that, you know, solutions are not unilateral to our, our challenges. Solutions must be addressed in a multilateral format. Now, this is, you know, this is a position that we hold not only in, in the region, but we'd also hold wor worldwide. And some countries, you know, there were 18 countries that manifested the need to strengthen this principle of, of multilateralism, the, you know, to strengthen also this idea that, uh, you know, we must respect uh, the values, the core values, historical values of the United Nations, you know, the values to defend peace, the values of defending uh, the, the self-determination of, of the peoples, the, you know, the, the values of and the principles of defending non-intervention. So, when when we gathered in New York to defend the United States, I'm um, sorry, the United Nations Charter, it is it is of course uh, not against anybody. It's not a position that we take against any country in particular, but that we take against 
the actions of unilateralism that try to uh, distort, uh, you know, international relations that try to pressure countries into, you know, into taking different uh, positions through the issuing of, you know, unilateral coercive measures, things that are illegal, according to UN Charter. If you remember, for example, uh, sanctions as such are only legal when they are taken by the Security Council of the United Nations, not when they are taken by specific countries on their own. Uh, and again, you know, the meeting of the Friends of the Charter was a meeting that took place uh, with countries that, again, are very, very dissimilar in their political orientation and their historical background, but that they did come together realizing that it is important to make a stand, to take a stand in defense of uh, multilateralism, in defense of diplomacy, uh, you know, in defense of peace, because, uh, you know, when, when, when countries start acting outside of international law, outside of this framework that we have built, I mean, the whole reason we built the United Nations was to preserve peace around the world, to preserve, you know, country sovereignty and, 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 and have, you know, allow for countries to develop themselves, uh, you know, through their own means and, and through cooperation. Now, if we depart from those principles by trying to impose one country's view over the other, by, by you know, promoting war, by promoting all this, you know, we, we're losing the whole United Nations. So we, we feel that it is, it is a time where we need to go back to the principles of the system to, and to remind the world that most you know, are still defending this charter are still uh, committed to the principle on this charter. So there's a lot, I've got like a ton of things I wanna ask you now as we start mm -hmm. talking. There's something that um, hit the news today that to me is another sign of, of this embrace of multilateralism and uh, this uh, trying to break this this yoke, this stranglehold that the United States and its and its related in, uh, international institutions have on so many countries. Peru announced that it's going to adopt blockchain technology and adopt a cryptocurrency that is going to be, uh, I guess you can exchange it into a, a basket of currencies, you know, including the euro and the U.S. dollar, and I think the uh, Real in Brazil, too. Now, Venezuela introduced the Petro in 2019, I think, one of the first countries to adopt a, a cryptocurrency. And we heard uh, El Salvador has done the same. So what, it, what does this mean to you, this adoption, this adaptation of cryptocurrencies by, by a number of countries now? I think Argentina is exploring this option as well. Oh, I think it's it's a sign of the times as well. You know, I think it's uh, you know for countries have different reasons for 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 doing them. Uh, you know, we in Venezuela, for example, adopted Petro as part of you know our struggle against uh, the blockade, the financial blockade that we're seeing in the United States, and that itself was attacked also by United. I'm sorry, United States uh, unilateral measures. Um, but I think you know it's a sign of the times. It's, it's a new way of uh, you know, engaging uh, 
financially, and it's a new way to also contest uh, the you know the dominance or, of of United States uh, or that the United States have over uh, the international financial system. Um, because most of the thing that, that we see today is some type of United States. Now, these initiatives are not, are not new uh, in the sense that for many years, we know that countries have been seeking ways to uh, have a more independent financial system uh, that gets brought by the whims of one country or the other. And know you know that, that there's exchanges that take place uh, between Russia and China, for example, in, within their you know their own currencies, and, and there's other you know attempts, but but it is a difficult thing to do. Uh, in reality, is the part uh, to completely establish a whole different system because you know U.S. the U.S. has uh, dominated uh, financial institutions. Uh, for a very long time, and 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 just the, the, the networks and the and the flow of of, of uh, money and 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 how uh, banks connect to each other, it's a sign of the times that things are changing. That people are trying to have a more independent uh, financial system that I think is important uh, for humanity. Again, depend. Dependence on one country or dependence on uh, in, in whatever aspects that may be, whether it be financial, whether it be uh, you know for cooperation, whether it be for health, uh, it, it's always a dangerous thing. I think what the world is seeking through multilateralism and, and through you know all these different alliances that we see, regional alliances everywhere, is to find common ground be, between similar countries and, and and that you know you you generate cooperation, not dependency. At the end of the day, most countries, after you know the fall of of, of the Berlin Wall and, and, and the new context that we have after the Cold War, well, it's important that which are to, to does not tie to a specific. Uh, superpower uh, diversity and in in and in that make sure that respect each other's. But I think that is key. Uh, the, you're you're a little the, garbled. And, and this is what. Are you there still? Yeah. Okay, everyone, if you could just sit tight for a, for a minute or two, let's see if, if Carlos can rejoin us for some closing comments. We're very lucky that he was able to um, connect. Oh, here you, okay. Hello. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. Oh no, it's okay. We I, we won't keep you much longer because I'm just so thankful you had some time today to to do this. So, yeah, I mean, I I would this this crypto this blockchain technology and the development of cryptocurrencies really is uh, a way. And I and I know this is somewhat controversial when I say this because not all countries feel this way, but I think. 
for so many of us that have done anti-sanctions work, we view it quite like you have said, it's a way to break through, you know, one country's, you know, currency and one country's financial system, um, controlling what everyone else on the planet can or cannot do as far as um, international um, trade and exchange. And it's, it's also just a very, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a modern way of, of, of handling economic transactions. And I think there were a couple countries that, you know, were very, particularly with younger governments such as yours, mm -hmm. where this is just the, the way of the future and, it's, and things are just evolving that way for multiple reasons. Um, I wonder, Carlos, if you could tell us, well, two things I'd like to ask you, if it's at all possible for you to comment on the Venezuela dialogue happening here in Mexico City. Um, I guess I personally would say it's been quite um, an experience living here for the past year. I've been going to language school, as many of in the audience know. Um, the leadership that the Mexican government, specifically uh, President Lopez Obrador, has shown for the hemisphere in, in helping orchestrate this dialogue, helping uh, organize uh, the SALAC meeting on September 18th. It's really pretty exciting what we're all witnessing here. Mm -hmm. I'm not... You, you may not be able to, I'm not expecting you to divulge what's being discussed at the table, <laughs> but it's, no, a really, it's, a great, it's a great thing we're witnessing. And not just for Venezuela, it's a terrific sign for all of the Americas with what your country is doing at the moment. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, I'll say this, of course, I'm not, I'm not part of uh, the negotiating team, so I cannot give you uh, specific details on the negotiations, but I can tell you what has gone on, uh, you know, uh, so far. And I think that, uh, and we could probably just talk about a, a couple of things that I think are important. First of all, um, as you well know, uh, we have undergone, you know, during the last uh, few years, very tough moments in Venezuelan, uh, in Venezuelan history. I mean, 2014, 2017, we saw very violent uh, actions on behalf of, or, or by some some of these action, actors in the opposition, that you know we're we're trying to we're, we're almost pushing Venezuela into the brink of you know a civil war or, or, or you know uh, a constitutional transition, trying to overthrow the president, trying to kill the president, trying to you know uh, uh, just engage in, in in political violence. And the fact that the same groups. That at the time, you know, were led these movements that you know in, into violence are and that they are now back shading table. I think it's a great achievement and it's it is of great benefit to the country. And that is that is one of the things that you know, if you if anything that we take away tonight on on this issue of the dialogue, it, it should be that you know that it is important that these groups that that had opted for violence are now sitting back at the table. It is not an easy negotiation. It's very, you know, uh, as you can imagine, it's very complicated because there are many, many differences uh, uh, of views on what the future of Venezuela is or what, you know, uh, uh, should be. But that this part of the opposition finally is back at the table, I think is very important. And we are thankful of Mexico and Norway and all the countries that have, you know, cooperated in, into facilitating this. 
also, I think that it's important that is that if when you see the document that was uh, in the, the, the established the rules, so to speak, of of how the dialogue with, or the agenda, uh, better, uh, of what was going to be discussed. Well, um, the document clearly states that this is this is a, a dialogue process between the government of the Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela, uh, headed by President Maduro, who's being represented by uh, the president of the National Assembly, Jorge Rodriguez, and the platform, uh, the unity platform of the opposition, which represents this one part of uh, of the opposition. We're not talking about two governments sitting down. We're not talking about two presidents. We're talking about the government and an important opposition. So I think that is also very important for you know uh, what what we've seen so far. Besides this, uh, there have been some agreements that uh, have already come up in the sense of uh, united positions that Venezuela has taken, both uh, uh, the government as well as this group of the opposition. For example, there's support Venezuela uh, of uh, the Essequibo region. In, in this is a historical claim that we have in the border uh, dispute with Guyana, which was really our border dispute with the British Empire, but you know, uh, that was inherited after uh, Diana's independence. Uh, and then we have also agreed to set up, uh, you know, a round table for addressing important social concerns uh, that, that the country has. Uh, elements that we are bringing to, to the table include, you know, the lifting of sanctions. I think that's, that's a discussion that we are we're, uh, bringing up. Uh, of course, these sanctions are imposed by the United States government, but it was part of, of this opposition in, from the from the unity platform that that you know uh, called and eventually asked for some of these sanctions to be implemented against Venezuela. So it is important that you know the, that this is this discussion is going on. And in the recent days, there was also an announcement, another agreement, uh, or another common position that was that was uh, made. Uh, a rejection uh, to the attacks that were suffered by Venezuelan immigrants in Chile, where it was very, uh, you know, regrettable that, that we saw this xenophobia and and these uh, attacks against our 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 Venezuelans by people that you know, uh, unfortunately, seem uh, as a threat or as who knows what. Um, but you know, there's a common position by by government, and this should not uh, take place. And there was also um, a statement where you, uh, that was read by by the negotiator, by the facilitator, sorry, uh, uh, in the Nor in from Norway, where uh, it was mentioned that uh, we will include or take into consideration more of uh, the, you know the, the issue of gender when we address and consult. Uh, in the next, in the coming days, uh, society as to you know the where this dialogue process is going. Uh, that's as far as like I, as I believe like I, I can I can share with you with regards to the dialogue process. But again, it, I, I must emphasize uh, you know the government of, of President Maduro has always been open to dialogue. We have been in permanent dialogue with parts of the opposition. Part of the opposition. Uh, is already, you know, participated in the last elections in the National Assembly. So what is what is important is that this one part 
represented by the uh, unity platform, uh, the so-called G4, which you know is, is four political parties in particular, including that of uh, where Juan Guaido was was a member. Well, uh, they finally came to the table, and 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 I think if we can conduct uh, a process where violence is completely discarded, is completely renounced, is completely abandoned by the opposition as a means of doing politics, but rather we come on the ballot box, we concentrate in you know, uh, public debate, we concentrate in all those things that, that strengthen our democracy, then we will have a very successful outcome of this dialogue. And that's what we're really, what we're really seeking uh, for, the, you know, for the peace and for the future of the country. So I think these are, these are very uh, hopeful times. Again, these are difficult negotiations because there's a widespread uh, uh, um, differences in, in, in our opinions and, and how we look at, uh, at the country and what we think the country's future should be. But it is important that for the sake of the Venezuelan people, we're all sitting down and, and trying to work these things out peacefully and in dialogue and not through violence. I think it's an absolutely, I, I don't, I, I have, <laughs> it's a very exciting, it's very hopeful, and it's, um, it's an incredible example for the rest of the Americas, the rest of the world, actually, what your country is doing right now. It's such a, um, I mean, it's really, it, it's, a, it's a microcosm or it's one na nation's example of what all of Salak would like to achieve where you have a country resolving its po politics, its economics, its cultural issues, all of it. You have a nation resolving all of the issues itself. It's you have all these different political factions sitting at the table, the government and all the other political parties. And it's just such, it's such a fantastic thing to see after so many years uh, of attacks from outside of your country to see this. Because this is what this is what everyone is striving for, to be left alone to solve problems ourselves or each nation's by on its own with its own people and its own institutions and its own um, structures. No, correct. I, I believe that, that that is, you know, one of the things that we have, you know, often strived for uh, and that we've asked uh, people to understand uh, that this is a very issue. I mean, the solution to Venezuela's problems can only and will only come from Venezuelans. Uh, you know, everything that is that, that you try to impose from outside or you try to force from outside will eventually crumble and fall. I mean, there is no example in history where intervention has somehow, you know, improved the situation of any country. I mean, and, and you could just take Afghanistan as yeah. a recent example. Yeah. Yeah. And you saw 20 of intervention. Uh, you know, yes, to play a role and maintain, you know, certain positions. And then once you take the intervention out, then you you almost had the same, you know, the, the same scenario all over again, with the fact that you had 20 years of, you know, a terrible war. Now we don't want that for Venezuela. We don't want an intervention that would take us 20 years to find out that, you know, 
it never should have been. I mean, what we want is to have the opportunity to solve our, our own problems on our own with, with, you know, at the end of the day, you, you, what some people, some people outside don't realize is that we Venezuelans still have a lot of things in common, both government and opposition. We, you know, we have a common history, we have a common, we have families that, you know, that, that, that are in, in both sides of, of the debate, uh, you know, so, so it is up to us to clear out our differences and find our solutions and avoid war and avoid confrontation and a war and avoid you know all, all, all tensions. This can only happen if we solve the problems ourselves, not if you know we have interventionism from any country uh, trying to to meddle into our own affairs. It, it's such a it's such a beautiful example of, of what's possible. And and you are your you and your nation are making it a, a reality for the for the rest of the world, the rest of the hemisphere to witness um, to witness this possibility. It's such a great um, you know recognition and preservation of national sovereignty, which every nation is 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 pushing to. Well, maybe not the United States. <laughs> pushing to preserve for itself and its people. And I just I think, you know, there's a, there's several people um, watching this evening who, um, who were in um, Venezuela for the National Assembly elections December of last year. And we had those people participating tonight had, had an opportunity to meet um, with the opposition parties that participated in, in the elections in December. And it really, I have to say, and Carlos, you were, you, you helped expedite mm -hmm. that meeting for us. It was really probably one of the best educational moments for those of us who have been doing uh, solidarity work with Venezuela and anti-US intervention work and anti-sanctions work. It was a really uh, eye-opening moment for us to meet with people against the government who overtly said, and this is not a narrative you hear in the United States, they opened the meeting with us saying, we believe the Venezuelan electoral process is free and fair and without fraud. And they mm -hmm. continue to participate. They believe that uh, they do want uh, change in the country and it's, you know, it's a different political and economic model than currently exists, but they believe, and they, again, they overtly shared this with us, that they believe in affecting change in, by constitutional means, which means forming political parties, which means participating in the electoral process. That is the majority of the opposition in your country, and those are the people we never hear about in the United States. We only hear about the violent faction who thank goodness are sitting at the table in Mexico City now and, and have chosen and have stated they'll be participating in the November elections as well. It's a fantastic evolution of events and it's it's just so inspiring for everyone. No, indeed, I think it's very important. Uh, like you said, you know, there, there has been, a, uh, there has always been you know, part of the opposition that wants to maintain within the democratic uh, norms and the, within the constitutional framework. Now, we have to take this opportunity now that we have a, at this dialogue table that we, 
scandals that, that renounced the, the constitution that I acted against it to now, you know, maybe, maybe come back and maybe, uh, you know, abandon those practices uh, definitely, uh, definitively. So, you know, that we can, we can preserve our, our, our peace and our, and our democracy the way it should be. Again, I think it is important that, that, um, that there is understanding outside of, of Venezuela of the importance of, of, of dialogue that we, you know, uh, like you said, the, the, the narrative that you often hear in, in Washington or in, in other uh, you know, places in the United States comes from a small group of people. There's still a, a small group of, uh, even smaller group of people in the opposition that, are, that have you know, want nothing to do with dialogue that, you know, that still claim that the best, op I mean, for them, the best option is the, for the Marines land and bomb everything out and, you know, and just hand over power to them and have them hand over the country. I mean, this, this unfortunately is still true of, of, of a very small minority, but, but it's still true. So what people that are engaged in peace, that are engaged and committed to democracy uh, around the world should do is, is precisely support uh, the dialogue process. There are going to be very, you know, there are going to be many attempts to attack this process. We already seen it by, by uh, you know, irrational actors such as the government of Colombia trying to, you know, intervene and, 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 and you know, because their, their interests are other, you know, their, their, their agenda is a different agenda. Their agenda is not the agenda of peace for Venezuela. Their agenda is not democracy for Venezuela. Their agenda is the collapse of, of our country and so that they can have some benefit from it. So I think it's important that any anybody, uh, again, you don't have to agree with our policies, with socialism, with our views, but please, you know, we, we, we ask that you that you respect uh, the will of Venezuelan people to carry out, uh, you know, our democracy uh, freely, you know, and to carry out our dialogue process freely, free of intervention, uh, and, and to allow us to solve our own problems. I think anybody who, who is really committed to democracy and to peace has to support the dialogue processes and see and, and help uh, get them you know, to, to their conclusion without any interruption, without any you know, intervention from anywhere else. It's such a great example, a single nation example of what's possible for the entire hemisphere and well, specifically for the countries um, that create Salak. It's just, a, it's, I mean, Venezuela is really setting the example of what is possible when people are left alone to solve their own problems their own way. And as, as President Lopez Obrador said in July, to solve the problems based on your own history, your own culture, and, and your own norms and your own uh, internal systems. And so it, it's just really, um, we just are all wishing, you know, the best for you and your country that this dialogue process, it seems to be uh, progressing in a very positive way and we want it to ultimately end in a very positive way for all of you. I wonder, um, you know, I told you this program is 30 minutes long. <laughs> we are well approaching an hour and I'm, I'm thankful you've been able to stay with us. Is there, um, is there anything you would like to comment on uh, 
uh, before we close this evening? Anything that we've neglected to talk about? No, well, I, again, I, I think, first of all, of course, I, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you always for the interest in, in Venezuela, for the interest that you've had uh, in, in, in the region. You know, I, I think very few uh, organizations are, are, are doing this important work of, you know, uh, taking solidarity to the steps of, you know, making sure that the public understands what really goes on in, in our countries. And, and we have very complex realities and, and it's always important to, to show uh, that complexity and I think uh, Code Pink and, and all the you know uh, organizations that that also uh, work together with Code Pink on this. Um, I thank you for for allowing Latin America and Latin American movements uh, to express themselves in, uh, in this way and, and and to talk about our reality. Again, I I think it is important that that, that we see that we're under a, a, a new uh, moment where again uh, unity seems not only possible in our region, but it's also a necessity. Uh, these great challenges that we face, that we all face uh, throughout the, you know, the, the planet, like climate change, like uh, the pandemic, these are, these are moments to come together as equals, to come together with the principles of cooperation so that we can move forward. So I think it is important to, for you, uh, you know, we appreciate that that you, that you reflect this reality, that that people can understand why, even when we are diverse and we, even when we have very different positions, we can find uh, common ground enough to to push for 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 these spaces, uh, uh, multilateral spaces such as SALAC, such as the Group of Friends of the United Nations Charter. So I think again. Uh, Multilateralism is the guarantee of that, that there will be world peace, that there will be respect for national sovereignty and, and self-determination. This is not just uh, an idea or, or, or rhetoric. This is actually truth. I mean, when we respect international law, when we adhere to international law, we know that we can expect you know, uh, uh, peace and, uh, to, to prevail. When we attempt against uh, international law, when we when we try to impose ourselves over the rights of other countries and other peoples, we can only expect uh, 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 terrible things to happen. So that will be, I guess, my my you know the, the message that we have. And, and again, thanking you for for this opportunity to to engage on, on these issues. Thank you so much. I I want to share with you a, a comment in the chat. Um, as we sign off from Leslie Salgado, who is uh, with Friends of Latin America in the DMV, and Friends of Latin America is one of our broadcast partners for this program, and she says, um, oh, we've got a couple things. Thank you for your positive and hopeful presentation. I thank you on behalf of Friends of Latin America. Uh, thank you, Carlos Ron, for sharing this very valuable information about Salak and efforts towards peace in Latin America and the Caribbean. So, you know, you're right. It's a moment. It's it's a very special moment, and we all need to to grasp it mm -hmm. and help push it forward. Mm -hmm. 
So thank you uh, for joining us this evening. I want to remind our audience that you've been watching What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean, Code Pink's weekly YouTube program of hot news out of Latin America and the Caribbean. We broadcast every Wednesday evening on Code Pink YouTube Live, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Also, you can catch us now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And please don't forget to catch Code Pink Radio every Thursday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern on WBAI out of New York City and WPFW out of Washington, D.C. So thank you for joining us, everyone. Thank you for your time, Carlos. Really appreciate your comments and you joining us this evening. Really, um, it's such a special moment. That's right. And, Ven and, and Venezuela has a lot to do with, it, with achieving this moment. Well, I think everyone, everyone in, in Latin America and, and I think everyone elsewhere can also have, have a, a role to, to play and, 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 you know, to promote uh, this, the respect of national law. So everyone, even in the United States, uh, has a role to play in defense of, of, you know, Latin American sovereignty and independence. So thank you very much. For this okay. Thank you. Bye. Good night.